podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Something a bit different for the Hand and Roar this week as I take a look back at Scotland's glory days with legendary broadcaster and commentator Archie McPherson. Archie worked at five World Cups in a row between 1974 and 1990 and he recalls pivotal moments from each one in this special episode. Archie, you've seen it all with Scotland over the years and I can't wait to hear what it was like following the team around the world to various World Cups. I mean, it was quite the career you had, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, the travel started obviously in 1974 when I went to Germany with the, the Willie Allman managed uh, Scottish team. Um, but I had done some travel before, obviously, with club football. I'd been in Lisbon with uh, Celtic in 67 along with Kenneth Wilson home. I'd been with Rangers in uh, 72 in Barcelona. And then ultimately um, I went with. Uh, Fergie to Gothenburg and watched that final as well. So I had stored up a, a lot of travel before I actually uh, went with the Scottish team. And uh, 74 was um, an amazing experience because it was the first for everybody. We hadn't qualified for a World Cup for about 16 years. So it was going to be something very new uh, to all of us. We, we weren't sure how we were going to compete or how broadcasters and the media in general would be able to relate to the team during that period because we'd never been away from home for such a long period. It was going to be something in the region of uh, six weeks if Scotland were right through. Um, It started off disastrously because um, Scotland uh, played two friendly games against Belgium and Norway and uh, I think there had been too much merriment if I can put that politely on the plane and the night before the Belgian game when they weren't fit simply weren't fit and they had uh, a bad press which got even worse when we got to Norway because of the the hijinks of Jimmy Johnson and Billy Bremner who had won too many to say the least I remember sitting with John Motson in the lounge of a student's hostel, which is really basically what this hotel was. It was very basic. They put the Scottish team in, and the players resented that, actually, because they were were accustomed. Remember, Rangers, Celtic, Manchester United, these players were accustomed to deluxe treatment, and they weren't getting it from the SFA, cost-conscious as they were. So... um, I was sitting with him and in came these two men, Roaring Foo, singing. Mm-hmm. And uh, they sat beside us. Uh, I remember John Watson getting a little bit scared, two drunk <laughs> Scotsmen beside him. But I told them just to carry on. They were harmless. Imagine me saying that <laughs> about two drunk Scotsmen. 
and um, when they, they were there for some time, Willie Ahmed actually appeared on the top of the stairs, looked at them, and then turned on his heel. And it was a, the Celtic doctor Simmons, who was also the SFA doctor, who came down and grabbed them and took them away. Uh-huh. Well, there was a great debate amongst the SFA, obviously, and the media about whether they had transgressed so badly that they should be sent home. And there was a lot of talk about that, and the press was divided. There were two important players, particularly the captain, Bremner, and uh, Johnson, a quixotic character who was past his best, clearly past his best, but nevertheless could turn in two minutes of great stuff. A match winner. And a match winner. And inspiring to have him on the field, there's always a possibility we'd do something daft, productively daft. <laughs> and um, eventually they reneged. I think Willie Orman desperately needed Bremner and so on. And the great thing about that World Cup was the redemption of, of Bremner because he saved Scotland. In my view, these are Paul's opinions, Willie Orman wasn't strong enough or had, didn't have the right stature for that particular task of the World Cup. I mean, he was dealing with highly experienced managers um, from all the other countries. And he was a guy who had, whose qualifications were they had got St. Johnson into Europe, <clears throat> provincial club. This was big time. Mm-hmm. And I n- never felt he really grasped the reality of that. So uh, it was a bad start. And the press were on to it about drinking. And it was something that lasted through the whole World Cups thereafter. 1974 influenced the whole of the attitude of the press towards Scotland. Uh, right through to 90, the, uh, 98, the last of the World Cups. They were always looking for something right. uh, to, to criticise the Scottish team, lack of discipline, over-drinking and Is so on. Is that maybe reflected in the... Willie Johnston incident in 78. Eventually, when we got to 78, that was certainly true. So, uh, nevertheless, they were the only undefeated team in the the tournament. (laughs) Because West Germany, who won it, had actually been beaten by East Germany in one of the preliminary rounds. And um, so that was a a great learning experience uh, for all of us. What was so impressive about Billy Bremner on the park, in your mind? Well, first of all, his determination, his captaincy, and his influence. Uh, he wasn't a skillful player, but he was a robust, determined player that won tackles, made crucial passes, um, and sheer determination. His performance against Brazil in the second game was, I think, one of the best individual performances by Scott in any World Cup. Was it because, Bremner who came very close to scoring in that game? Uh, he did, yes, he did. But um, the ball came close to being struck by Bremner. I'm trying. It, a lot of people have criticised him for a miss. It wasn't. All the other players around him realised the the ball had come too fast, and his legs were stuck, mm. so he couldn't touch touch the ball as everybody thought he might do. So. Um, 
uh, that was disappointing. But uh, as I say, his determination and leadership skills were what mattered more than anything else, which was lacking on the touchline. So that's why I think he was particularly influential. Did you have much of a relationship with Mr Ormond? Yeah, he was a pleasant man. He was very genial, very pleasant. He was approachable. Um, he liked a dram. And that, that got out of hand. I don't mean his drinking got out of hand. The, the rumours about him really got out okay. of hand. He did admit that he, it, it all stemmed from uh, the plane almost crashing when St. Johnson went to play in Sarajevo and the plane couldn't take off. It tried to take off and hit the trees and so on. So, right. And uh, he um, decided to get stuck in for the rest of the flight <clears throat> that stayed with him. But yeah, he was a genial. And you touched on the Brazil game there where Billy Bremner, you're saying, was a fantastic individual performer during the 90 minutes. I've looked back on the game, some highlights on the internet and read about it. Was it really a nil-nil hammering? For whom? For Scotland. No, no, no Scotland should have won. Yes, that's what I mean, sorry. Did oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, Scotland should have won, yes. Yeah. They had the better ball, they had the better chances. David Hay was outstanding for Scotland that game. I remember a couple of shots he had in the game, just skimmed the bar. Um, they were the better team. It was the best uh, Scottish performance against a Brazilian team outside of the friendly that we played in 66 at Hamden, was uh, Stevie Chammer scored on a goal game and where Jim Baxter was just the Brazilian on the pitch. <laughs> he was superb, that was one each. No, that, in, in terms of the World Cups, that was the best Scottish performance. And did that Scotland team underachieve in 74? Uh, yes, they did. Um, they, they just liked a goal scorer. Uh, Joe Jordan was a a, hit, a, a, a a target man, basically. And he didn't have anybody with him just to nip in on these occasions. Uh, Jimmy Johnson was not played in that game, might have been played in the game, and that might have made a difference. Mm -hmm. But you never know. You spent a lot of time with Jock Steen in 74. He was your summariser for Holmfrey. What was it like to work alongside him in that capacity? Yeah, well, the first game I did with him, uh, the other two I didn't oh. uh, because he was taken over by network. But in the first game, we did uh, the Zaire match. And although there was a lot of criticism of Scotland not having scored as many goals as they might have, um, I think he was very sympathetic to them because uh, although at 2 nothing and then they started to play about, he got a little bit nervous about what was going to happen. But um, uh, it was a very hot night and, and humid. Mm -hmm. um, and I think Scotland did the right thing. They didn't want to overextend themselves to beat Zaire. And of course, at, at the end, it didn't work out well for them. Were you particularly close with any of the players in that squad, there were some really big names. You've mentioned Bremner, Douglas Jordan, McGrain Jordan. Did you speak to them all? Yeah, in your, yeah. In your job? I spoke to them. Um, Sandy Jordan, uh, I knew very well. Danny McGrain, I've known for years. Kenny, of course. I'd spent a few days on holiday with Kenny. Um, 
prior to that World Cup when he was still a young player. Where did so you go? I knew, pardon? Where did you go? We were in, well, we, accidentally we were in the same ah, place. Okay. You know, we didn't go together. <laughs> I see. We just met each other and we had a few uh, rammies around the, the swimming pool and so on, you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I knew them personally, yeah. Let's move on to 78 then. You qualified, well, Scotland qualified thanks to a 2-0 win in Wales. Masson and Dalgleish, I'd say, maybe one of your most iconic moments of commentary when Dalgleish nods in the second. Yeah. How do you look back on that game? Well, of the tumult of Liverpool of being overcrowded with Scots, some of whom never got into the game, obviously, um, and the mistake that Wales made in taking the game there because it just gave an opportunity for the, the Hamden Roar, as it were, to, to reside in Anfield. And the worry that if Scotland didn't win, which Jock Steen, who's my co-commentator, expressed that if Scotland didn't win, there might be trouble in the city. You know, that was always possible. There was a lot of drink going on. And um, uh, consequently, it was with a sense of relief that the victory came. Uh, and of course, the notorious quasi-handling uh, incident that brought about the penalty kick. Um, the interesting thing about that is uh, Jockstein and I both committed ourselves to saying, yeah, that's a penalty. Mm -hmm. uh, so did the press. A lot of the press had sent their copy. Uh, the Scotsman and the Herald, both um, clear penalty, etc. Now, we had the benefit of replay, but even in replay it wasn't particularly clear. So we just went with the referee. Mm -hmm. And it remains a question. Should it have been given or not? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but Scotland were going to win that game. And there was only one moment in the game when I thought it might turn when um, Alan Ruff had a great save, tipping the ball over the bar from their striker. Uh, the big long leg guy played for, became a manager. The name escapes me at the moment. Um, uh, that was a great save. That that was the one outstanding save that Scotland had to make that night. And of course came the goal, the winning goal, which was superb. Uh, the Buchan cross and uh, Kenny Sander. Martin Buchan. Good running by Buchan. Read it well. There's Kenny Douglas in there. Oh, what a goal! Oh, yes! That does it! he turns to the supporters three minutes left two nothing for Scotland in moments like that do you find it quite easy to separate Archie the commentator and Archie the supporter not on that occasion <laughs> not on that occasion no uh, that was an explosion of uh, relief more than anything else because it put it beyond uh, any doubt and the prospect of going across the world, mm -hmm. you know. You felt you were helping it into the net on that occasion. Although, having said that, my theme throughout, after which, and about which, got me into trouble, was to be absolutely fair and subjective and not be a punter when I was at the mic. Was that a self-reflective moment, or were you told to try and take that approach by bosses? No. Bosses never... <laughs> never approached me about anything. 
uh, until one moment later on in, in the World Cups. But uh, no, 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 th this was... Uh, I, I always thought... Uh, remember Brian Glanville's famous comment about the Scottish media, they're punters with typewriters. And um, I always felt the reverse was true. The English commentators, even to this day, are very loath to criticise their teams. Very loath to criticise their teams. And I think that that really acted on me. I wanted to be different from that. Okay. Now, going over to Argentina, had you ever seen hype like it surrounding a team in Scotland and indeed the Scottish national team with a parade around Hamden and people lining the streets towards the airport? No, but I didn't see it. I was in Argentina. Oh, already there. I Were never, you... thank God, I saw nothing of the farewell or anything because we had gone out to start filming for Grandstand, BBC Grandstand, well in advance. I was there probably a week in advance of the Scottish party. And I'd actually gone to Peru with a BBC film crew to have a look at Peru versus Argentina. It was an ideal situation to have a look at the team we were playing against and the host nation. Mm -hmm. And we invited Ali McLeod to come with us. He wouldn't come because he was off in his tours around Scotland making pots of money. Uh, he just wasn't interested in coming to... We were going to pay his expenses, everything, just take him out. He turned it down and it blew up in his face. With the defeat to yeah. Peru, of course, that would have been the only opportunity or the most appropriate opportunity to check out the opposition. <coughs> yeah, it was. Um, it was all we were looking at videos and, and so on, but uh, you've really got to see... Managers still do that. They, they do look at a lot of videos, and I know... Many mistakes have been made by managers doing that, precisely. No, she, he, he should have taken that opportunity. Did you know Ali McLeod well, as well? Knew him well. I travelled the country with him, um, doing a, a series of hotel chats, mm -hmm. sponsored by a brewer. And uh, I did feel the over-exuberance of the Scottish supporter I just felt that um, they were going over the top. I remember once criticising a mildly critical question about the Scottish team and the, the supporters that night in some hotel somewhere, I can't remember, were pouncing on me. They're almost dancing in the tables in ecstasy about Ali, and I thought, if you fall, you're going to fall mm -hmm. with a right thump. So do you believe that it was all... Well, ex hype exactly that and people were just swept away with it after McLeod's comments about coming back with a medal from 78 yes yes I think people were just uh, uh, not taken in that would... they got excited uh, about it and went over the top did you believe that Scotland could come back successful no because never of... at any stage did I think Scotland would win the World Cup no just because of the sheer gap in quality between yeah. sides yeah yeah, it was as simple as that. So why, um, would, why would McLeod say he believed it could That happen? was his character, that was his personality. It started in South America and Brazil um, after the, in, I beg your pardon, in Argentina in the Boca Junior Stadium when Scotland uh, drew with Argentina, the host nation, who got a lucky penalty. There wasn't a penalty. And he came out... And that was when he started with the press, we can do it. We can come back with a cup. Did, did the press 
obviously it's their responsibility or their job to find a line and McLeod's given them one on a silver platter. But did they drum up that sort of approach and Scotland can win the World Cup? They went with them. Yeah. They were in tandem with them, yeah. And then they kicked them. When, uh, when they it didn't fell. go so well. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it, it's obviously well before my time, but I can't quite believe that Scotland fans were believing Scotland could win the, the World Cup going the biggest tournament in the world. Well, they were. At that stage, they were, or, or, or maybe putting on the pretense that they were. Did you chat about team affairs with Ali McLeod when you were touring the country? Not so much about strategies or, or things like that. We talked about personalities more than anything else. He was sometimes a little bit indiscreet. And he explained certain things about his own playing career. He talked more about his own playing career, of course, and some of the stories he got up to as a, as a player, <clears throat> more than just about the Scottish team. What are your memories of the Peru game, then just complete disaster, lack of preparation? Well, it was a disaster for me because, effectively, I didn't do the commentary. I was in the commentary position, mm-hmm. ready to do the commentary. When I got a word down my ear from somebody in engineering saying the line hasn't been booked back to Scotland. So I never actually, my commentary has never been heard in that period game. It was David Coleman's. They took network. I did a commentary. I couldn't sit there and do nothing. So I did a commentary in the hope that some thing or other would have happened. But no, mm. the line hadn't been booked. Does that not throw you off your focus slightly <sighs> when you hear stuff like that? Are you kidding? (laughs) It certainly did, yeah. Having come all that way, having been out in advance, having done absolutely everything in preparation, details, my notes in front of me, absolutely everything. Was that human error? Yeah, yeah, obviously somebody along the chain of communications hadn't done the work. How did Ali McLeod respond after that defeat? Did he realise that his complacent approach perhaps had, had cost Scotland? Well, um, he it was Ali, um, still kind of exuberant, um, but underneath it shocked. He tried to put a brave face on it. But I, I particularly remember after the Iran game, which was dreadful, probably the poorest game I've ever watched at international level, um, was his press conference after that, before they went to Mendoza. And uh, it was on the top of this hill. They, they had it outside the press conference and you had to walk up a hill to it. I don't know why. And uh, a wee dog came up and Ali said, this is my only friend now, you know. Oh. So he was really despondent, and some of the players were beginning. The players liked Ali McLeod. They didn't dislike him. Mm-hmm. If you read my book, Adventures in the Golden Age, you'll see that Lou McCary, for example, called him, his, he was more a pal than a manager. I think that's quite a hard relationship to sustain between player and manager then, when you're not when the manager isn't viewed as... You know, they're a respectful, authoritative figure. Yeah, I mean, Alan Ruff will tell you that the, the players didn't dislike him, but they didn't take him all that seriously. Uh, especially the Anglos. 
Anglos thought it was a joke, frankly. It's a shame, actually, mm. that, isn't it? Then let's talk about the aftermath of the Iran game. I've read that the fans really, really took it out on Ali McLeod and he was spat on on occasion. Yes, he was. Uh, that was... Uh, BBC London were enjoying this. So they have a sequence, which I can still remember, purely of Scottish supporters showing their uh, aggravation and hostility towards him, particularly when he walked round the ground at the end of the game and uh, they were spitting at him and so on. You know, Same supporters who had put him on a pedestal. So it all seemed hypocritical to me. Very fickle. and Yeah. yeah. Is it disappointing, though, to see... BBC back in London, you know, kind of pouncing on that and maybe portraying it in a light that it shouldn't have been. Yeah, it was, uh, but to be expected, you know, they, they never regarded Scottish football at any, at any time all that seriously. And remember, England weren't there. Even though Scotland had beaten England a yeah. year previously. Yeah, but that didn't matter. Um, England weren't there, of course. Mm-hmm. So that's, they put the boot into Scotland. Did they just have to saturate everything surrounding the Scottish team I suppose since England hadn't qualified yeah yeah, yeah. we um, we mentioned Willie Johnston earlier how do you remember the fiasco about his exit playing out well we learned about this at a press conference that was being held by the SFA we couldn't believe it and I remember Trevor's uh, the ITV presenter Trevor's his first name, mm-hmm. can't remember his second name. And he um, he really was asking Ali that night brutal questions about what he had heard about the Willie Johnson affair. And um, we were quite stunned. And he was secreted out of the, the hotel in the back of a car. Um, and it, it, it was really... After that... As I say, like the drink uh, uh, and now the drugs, after that, Network were only interested in trying to find somebody with a drug problem within the Scotland camp. Let's discuss the Archie Gemmell goal. Is that one of the standout moments of, of your commentary career? Uh, yeah, that was the goal. still is. Uh, all you need to do is mention that goal to any Scot. You, know, you can see the, the dewy mist coming over their eyes. It, it was superb because of the setting. The physical setting was amazing. It was a stadium built into the the Andes, spectacular, soaring above us. Um, everybody was demob happy. We wanted back home. Didn't matter what the result was. We had so many disappointments and frustrations that we just wanted out of the place. Even though I, I, I still thought this was marvellous to be in this country see a different culture altogether. Did you think at 3-1, though, Scotland could go on and do it? Uh, yeah, you you did at that stage. And I was sitting with Alan Heron, who was my co-commentator, the Sunday Mail correspondent. We couldn't get any players because they just wouldn't allow us. So he did that. And um, the whole commentary area, there was about 20 commentators all in the row, and they all rose up when Archie did his run through and put it in the back of the net. Um, it was like uh, it was like watching a, a drama, you know, with a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. <laughs> and it was superb. And then came the Johnny Rep, 
goal that uh, really effectively put us out of the tournament. <clears throat> I worked with Johnny Rep in Paris some years later and uh, um, we had some conversations about that. <laughs> <laughs> Did he remember the, the game and the goal fairly Oh yeah, well? oh yeah, I remember the game and the goal, yes, of course. Jock Steen took charge for 1982. I believe there's a bit of a backstory with how you were involved in him being appointed. Is that true? Yeah, he he was um, uh, down in Leeds for about oh 40-odd days he'd taken that job. And I got a call to call him, which I did. And he really set me up and said, how about you telling us that I'd be interested in the job? went on television and said that and phew, suddenly the whole thing exploded. Um, he, he then the following morning denied this, <laughs> uh, which was like Jock. And uh, it wasn't just me, I'm not making that claim, but I set the ball rolling publicly in a dramatic way because I think there might have been moves in any case mm -hmm. to get him. So he knew how but, to utilise... Yeah, exactly, the, the yeah. media. Always did. Yeah. He always did, yes. What was he like as a Scotland manager? Well, he passed his best. His best was with Celtic. That nine years, uh, or ten years with Celtic, nine years, titles in the row and so on. That took a lot out of him and his illness, his accident, mm -hmm. and his illness. And altogether, he was not the same man, and not in the same job. It was an international job as compared to a club job. And he didn't have the same power. So all of these factors combined, he wasn't the Jock Steen of Celtic. What about 82? Of course, Scotland took lead against Brazil. David Neary scored that screamer. Did you commentate on that game? I did, yes. Uh, and you always felt that, oh my God, what has he done? Because the Brazilians are going to have a go. And he did, and <laughs> won, easily after that. Scored too early, maybe. But the, Brazil, the Brazilians were marvellous. They had a wonderful team whose arrogance beat them in that World Cup. They went into the, the game with Italy thinking it was a doddle, played the ball around and got beaten in the counter-attack. So, some superb players, Socrates, I remember, a tall, handsome guy, just dominating midfield. And uh, we did well. We did well enough, beaten 4-1. And uh, I just felt um, we could still do it against Russia. And in that game, obviously, the Russia game in Malaga was uh, one of the most anguishing times I had because we were a better team than the Russians. Could have won. Soon as had a superb game that day. Absolutely superb. As, and Strachan had played well in all of the games. And then came that collision by the two men who really didn't gel. Um, that was Hansen Alan Miller. Hansen and uh, Willie Miller. And the Russian got through and scored. That was a huge disappointment. Really was. Did you feel Alex Ferguson was a, a correct and popular choice for 86? Yeah, I think he was the obvious choice for 86. Um, he was a brilliant. He was young. Uh, he had ambitions well outside Scotland. Um, he used to sit with me in the boot room in Aberdeen and talk about things. Admitted to me that Rangers had touched him. At one stage, he turned that down. Um, and uh, he, he, he did very well. About Mexico, the, the first game, uh, they, they all talk about the Uruguay game where they were thugs. Denmark were just as bad, actually. They put Charlie Nicholas out of the game. 
Yes, I interviewed Craig Brown. He identified that exact thing. Exactly. They, they, they realised he was a threat and the tackle on him uh, was infamous, actually. So it, it was just... There were more Uruguayans at it than the Danes, mm -hmm. but the Danes cynically could do it as well. So Charlie Nichols went out of the game, which was maybe a wee bonus for me because he was my co-commentator ah. in the next game okay. against West Germany in Querétaro. And, uh, but without him, I think we lost something. That was very, very crucial, putting Charlie Nichols in. He was on song. Is it Arsenal at the Arsenal. time? Yeah. Is Arsenal. it fair to say that all in all that tournament was a bit of a disaster? Nothing really seemed to go Scotland's way? Uh, yeah, well, we lost, uh, obviously. Um, the last game was infinitely disappointing, playing against 10 men for, what, 88 minutes or something like that. And we couldn't put the ball in the net. You talk about Bremner's miss, but uh, Stevie Nichols' miss mm -hmm. was worse okay. of all the World Cups than Billy Bremner's in front of goal where he should have scored. And that would have put us through. So, yes, it was very disappointing. Doug Leash wasn't at that tournament. Is there any truth that he had taken the huff because Alan Hansen wasn't picked and that was the reason he wasn't there rather than injury? Well, there's a case to be made for that. Let's put it that way. You can't prove these things. <laughs> was um, there, were, were there rumours and chat about that, though, back in the 80s? Too? Yes, there were. There were, and he played in a friendly, uh, a charity match, for his charity, uh, at Hamden uh, the week the, the, the squad was announced and withdrew. Because he said his surgeon had told him his knee wouldn't last it, so he withdrew. But uh, I think it could have been connected with the Hanson thing. I know we're pressed for time, Archie. I'll, I'll not keep you much longer, but one thing I want to ask you about is the Costa Rica game in 1990. Yeah. I believe you were asked through your ear to be more positive about yeah. the way things were unfolding sure. on the park. How do you deal with something like that? Well, the fortunate thing in that game was that it wasn't live for BBC Scotland. Mm -hmm. Scotsport had the live game. In those days, we tossed up to see which games we got. We either got two highlights or two uh, uh, live games, depending on the toss. So we didn't win that game. The next game, the Sweden game, was ours. So I had the ability to pause and respond uh, to these things and I just rejected it I mean Scotland were being given the runner in. and you can't keep the punters on I mean people sit in their houses and know the game infinitely better than you do so why why would I be telling them that Scotland were playing tolerably well when they weren't so I, I, I totally rejected it and just carried on with what I was saying How did the team of Italian 90 compare to the ones you'd covered previously in World Cups? Um, well, they were running out of the quality players by that stage. Craig, uh, um, Andy uh, had not the same, Andy Roxburgh, mm -hmm. had not the same quality of players that had been there in 74 and 78. By 82, they were being able to drift off. Uh, and then by 90, uh, that quality wasn't, just quite there. Is it a tale of hard luck stories over the years for Scotland, do you believe? or in its Well, we had a lot of hard luck. There's mm -hmm. no question at all about that. But if we had the ability, had had the ability, uh, then we would have 
ridden over the hard luck. Had and we, we shot, simply weren't good enough on key occasions. Had we shot ourselves in the foot on occasion throughout World Cups? Uh, yes, in different ways. Um, not just in missing chances uh, or in tactics or in selection of players. Um, I think uh, there was just uh, um, too much expectation that seeped into players at certain times. Um, 74 was the best squad of all. That was really quality squad. And the last game in 78, the game in Mendoza against Holland, where you had Doug Leach and Sunnis Sunnis making his appearance mm-hmm. and Sonia. What a difference that made. Uh, but no, in general terms, there was a gradual decline in the quality of player. When you were in France in '98 at the Morocco game, could you envisage or see see it coming that it would be a generation or two before Scotland maybe back? Uh, absolutely. All you need, needed to do, again in my book, Adventures in the Golden Age, I point out, if you look at the, the ages of the players and the number of caps they had, there were older players with a lot of caps. Why? Because the younger brigade weren't really coming through in quality so Craig Brown was really compared to other managers severely handicapped Can you see the tide turning now at all? Well you always hope you always hope but I think it's going to be very very difficult that shouldn't worry us we should just get on with it Well it should be difficult Perhaps we shouldn't even be asking this question is the tide going to turn perhaps we should simply get on with our football in the hope that players will emerge and we'll get at least a group of 14 players that have quality enough to get to a World Cup and do well. Archie, that's been fascinating chatting to you. Thanks very much for coming on the Hamden North. Not at all. Thank you. Podcast Network.